want to just again thank uh, Amanda Hall last week for helping to paint uh, the picture over here as we were going through the passage in the beginning of Revelation 19. It wasn't something she had ever done before, and there was a lot of nerves and, and that sort of thing, but I just can't believe how beautiful uh, this came out. I mean, I just, I, I'm just going to tell you, uh, as your pastor, a confession, um, your pastor wants to steal this and take it home, but uh, we have a better opportunity, and that is um, coming up, we're going to um, auction this off. Um, I, I, I think somebody would really love to have this at their house um, or, to, or, or to buy it for their pastor. And um, <laughs> we're going to auction this, and uh, what we're going to do with the money is we're going to use the money uh, to put it por- uh, towards the children's Bibles that we're buying and uh, I know that children are such a huge part of Amanda's heart, and uh, this was so based on Scripture. Um, and so next week, we're, we will have a box uh, back there, and then the following week as well, we'll go two weeks. And I'll let you know uh, the second week what the bid is at. But um, you put your bid in there, and the highest bidder uh, will get the painting, and uh, we'll take that money and we'll put it towards our children's Bibles ongoing. So uh, I, again, want to thank Amanda also for donating that as well. Um, I'm super thrilled. Uh, just at what came of it, the worship that was there, but also the opportunity to go and, and uh, provide more scripture for kids. So it's, it's really awesome. Uh, this morning we're coming to a passage in Revelation 19 that um, I will say it might just be, I don't know, it might just be my favorite passage in all the Bible. Um, there's just something about it that has always captured me. And so let's pray, and then we're going to head on into the second part of, of Revelation 19. Father, we're so thankful that you have done what you have done. Lord, having given your son to die for us on that cross, for we who have betrayed you in sin and have sought everything else to try to fix our problem. Father, that you would be so gracious to send your son to die for us, Lord. I don't even know where this is coming from except to say that I'm so thankful. We worship you this morning, Father. We thank you for your word. That you've called us into eternity through the name of Jesus and that one day he will come. And you will rescue us. So Lord, we pray that you would teach us by your word today. Pray that you would guide my mind and my heart and my lips as I speak. pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't even know where to start right now. I 
Last week we talked about how good God is. That in heaven they just say, hallelujah, praise him. He's so worth it. I don't want to remove last week from this week. They both go together in this chapter. Hallelujah, the Lord, he reigns. He absolutely reigns. He's so good and he's so perfect in what he does. And as we come to today, we have to stay in that state of hallelujah, he's so good. And I I don't even want to get into it and do a lot of dissecting because I don't want to mess it up. It reminds me of when we were in Seattle. I'd take the kids to go hunt for frogs. And and, uh, a lot of you don't like frogs. That's okay. Some of us do. And we'd go hunt frogs. And in Seattle, you can actually go into the ponds and stuff without worry of getting your, your head bit off by a snake. And so, you know, I'd take them out there and, and we'd wait and we'd watch into the water. And when you first got to these ponds, they'd be really clear. Uh, but as you started going around on the edge and you'd have boots on or whatever, and you're trying to get in there to the front, those things that you could see really clearly. And as you try to get into it, as you stomped around, the water would become very muddied and just had a real hard time. Uh, seeing things for what it was. And so I kind of have that fear going into this passage that I don't want to kind of go around and dissect it and tromp in it too much on the hunt and end up kind of mudding up the water of what we're trying to see here. And so I'm going to do a little bit of, uh, uh, of work in it, and then I just kind of want to read the first part again because it's so beautiful. This is just one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus uh, in the Scripture. And so uh, we're going to start in verse 11 of Revelation chapter 19. This is John writing the vision that he's being uh, given. And, and so oftentimes he's just seeing and then he's reporting. He's writing this down. And so this is what he sees in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. And so John immediately sees Jesus riding in on this horse. His name is faithful and true. And he's riding on this white horse. A white horse, as we mentioned earlier with the kids, signified a war horse and the one who's coming in to do battle. Well, here comes Jesus coming in for this final battle. He is faithful and true. And in righteousness, he both judges and makes war. That's a good way to approach a battle that would be done rightly and that he would get the job done. That's what you want. It says in verse 12, his eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his heads are many diadems, that's crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. Here he comes in and we've talked about before, it'll repeat it later on in this chapter, that that Jesus will come and tread out the winepress of God's wrath. Throughout scripture, there's this imagery that God would take his enemies and that he would bring his wrath upon them. And in fact, everybody who's ever lived deserves the wrath of God because we come out rebellious and we act upon that heart and do naughty things. And so God has all that he needs in justice to execute wrath upon all of humanity. But he came to save humanity by dying for us and taking the wrath of God in our place. So when Jesus died on that cross, he was not only being uh, tortured by human beings, both Jews and Gentiles, but he was undergoing the wrath of God for you and for me. He substituted himself and bore the wrath of God so that when the end of time comes, 
He will take his enemies and he will trod them out like grapes in the wine press. He is giving them the wrath of God. That blood being spilt, save for those whom he saved. Those whom he has rescued and those who have called upon the name of Jesus, their wrath went upon Jesus and they will be rescued in that moment. But Jesus says he comes here and as he goes, his, his robe is drenched in blood. That's because he's the one who treads out the wine press. No one else does that. It's just Jesus. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 63, we have this description. Verse 2 says, Why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? And he responds, I have tread in the winepress alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. This is speaking forward to Jesus trotting it out. In one of the descriptions, it says that there's no one to help him. He's the only one that can bring that wrath. He is the one who will uh, trod that wine press out. And so the description then in Revelation is him coming on that horse. His name is Faithful and True. He's just to do these things, and his robe is dipped in blood because he is the one who is able to do this. And here he comes as the one whose name is the Word of God. Verse 14 goes on in Revelation, says... And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Now, notice that they have white clothes on. They haven't gotten dirty because he's the one doing the battle. Jesus alone goes on and says this as well in verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. We know from Scripture that the word of God is symbolized by a sword. As well in Thessalonians, it says that when Jesus comes, he will strike down with the breath of his mouth, with his word. He will strike down his enemy, specifically Antichrist. But he is going to come, bring that sharp sword, his word, to come finish things off. It says also that he will rule them with a rod of iron. That means that Jesus can get it done. He is so strong. He is capable of just leading and it being authoritative he goes on and says he will tread the wine press of the fury of the wrath of god the almighty on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written king of kings and lord of lords and i don't know how you feel about tattoos a lot of people don't like them but let me tell you jesus has one not only does he have the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords embroidered on his garment, but also it says on his thigh, it is tattooed with the words King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, the problem with tattoos in the Old Testament wasn't the fact that they had put something on their body. It was that they were putting a mark on their body for something else. It was related to divination and worshiping other gods. But Jesus says, no, if you want to be tattooed with something, guess what my tattoo says? It's about me. King of kings and Lord of lords, where is your heart? That's the issue. And so Jesus comes in, you see clearly, King of kings and Lord of lords. Make no mistake about it. If you look at his clothes, you look at his body. That is who he is. He is the absolute king. He is the absolute Lord. There is no one who is close to him in being authoritative and powerful and just and right and true. Amen. 
He is King of kings and He is Lord of lords. Now, as we have the scene of Him coming in on this war horse and as Him having this robe dipped in blood and having defeated His enemies by His word and Him having that name, King of kings and Lord of lords, He is the Word of God. It is just such a majestic picture of our King. And when you watch the hero in movies, isn't it so uh, typical in that moment of absolute victory when they're standing there at the end of the battle, just picture it in slow motion, right? The robe just kind of flowing out behind as the horse is trotting out. Can you just picture Jesus in this moment in all of his glory coming to, to do this battle and executing what he needs to do and him just being awesome? That's Jesus. Some people don't like the fact that Jesus is going to come and do this. Wait, wait, who says he gets to go and do that? Well, he's right and true. He's not doing it because he shouldn't. It's what's just. And he always acts justly. One of my uh, favorite movies is this movie about the OK Corral. And uh, you know the, the, the Earp brothers, Wyatt, right? And uh, they have this buddy. His name is Doc Holliday. Now, Doc Holliday... I mean, he's got a lot of his own sin problems, all right? He's got the women, he's got too much to drink, he's got all this. But the thing is, he's a gunfighter. And so when it comes down to it, there's this one main enemy gunfighter who's really quick. And everybody's scared of this other gunfighter. He is, he is the tantamount person of evil in the movie. And so everybody's a little bit worried about him. And this gu- evil gunslinger says, well, who's going to stop me? And Doc Holliday says, I'm a Huckleberry. He's going to be the one to stop the evil dude. But here, Doc Holliday wants to go out and be the one to execute justice upon the one who's evil. However, he himself is thoroughly evil. You know, he's got all this sin in his life. He's, he's, he's dying in a sense. And, and here he goes and it just... The movie makes it, you want to cheer for Doc Holliday even though he's thoroughly bad. But here with Revelation, we have Jesus who will also be the Huckleberry. And he's going to defeat his enemies, but he doesn't come at it as one who is unjust or one who's full of sin or one who's incapable. He comes as the only one who can defeat his enemies and perfectly reconcile all things to God. That is, he will make everything come out according to justice. Amen. When we look back, we'll, we won't have any more questions like, why did he do it like that? We'll look back and say he did it perfectly. And he was the only one who could do it. That is him on that horse. He is the king of kings. He is the lord of lords. He will trot out the wine press by himself because he is the only one who is capable and worthy to, to bring that wrath upon his enemies. Amen. But in doing so, remember the journey that he went on. In order that come uh, on that day to come and to execute wrath on not all people, just some people, that means he had to come the first time and suffer on that cross. Amen. So that on that day when he comes, you're not standing in horror because he's about to destroy you. You're standing there saying, yes, my salvation has come. My king is here. He's taking me home. Amen. And it's all just and right and true. That's the picture of Jesus on that horse. It's overwhelming. It is so good. The word of God is his name. 
And I, I would love just to read just that passage just straight through again and just picture, if you want to close your eyes for a moment, put it in slow motion like the movies, make it epic because it is. It says this, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It is beautiful. That is the King. Now, consider how we treat him on a daily basis as our God. He is already the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And yet we approach him very differently in the way we approach God. Anybody watch the show Downton Abbey? You ever seen that show? Yeah, yeah. Downton Abbey was a very popular show. And it was about an aristocratic family over in, in Britain. And it was about how uh, here was this family and they had this huge castle-like house and all these proper things they needed to do. And so they were living kind of on the top levels of the house. Well, underneath of the house was where the servant quarters were. And so there was the, the family and their servants. And the servants had a, a head uh, um, butler. I can't even remember his name. Anybody remember his name? Mr. Carson. That was his name. Mr. Carson. And Mr. Carson was the head butler. And he had a lot of um, importance about him. He dressed up very nicely. He had a lot of people who were uh, he was in charge of. And he would go to the the family. But once he was in the midst of the family, the family, they didn't take orders from Mr. Carson. They gave Mr. Carson orders. Why? Because he was the butler, right? Now, consider the way we approach God a lot of times. We actually approach God more like he's Mr. Carson. A lot of times we consider God just to be our great life butler. Lord, I need this. I need this. I need this. Go get me that. Go get me this. Make sure I don't die. Help me, you know, we approach him with all these wants that we have. He's our butler. Now, the scripture just said he's not the butler of butlers and the servant of servants. He said he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so I just want to throw that out of you. How do you approach him on a daily basis? Because the king of kings and the Lord of lords has said we can come to him and ask anything in his name. But when you go and you ask something of somebody for them to do, you approach them a lot differently when they're a king or when they're a butler. Do you come to Jesus with him as your king? Or do you come to him as if he's your butler? Because if you come at him as if he's your butler, then take a look at the aristocratic house. You are living upstairs and he's in the gutter. And yet he's the one who lives upstairs. And the reality is, instead of him looking at us and saying, no, 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 you're the butlers. Guess what he has said? No, I bought you so you can live with me upstairs. You're, actually, you're a part of my family. Amen. We're going to operate as family, but I'm still the king, but we're family. And you look at that picture of Jesus on his white horse. 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that means today, too. We have a good king who loves us. Last week we saw how that great king is going to come back and he's going to take his people. At the same time he's delivering wrath on his enemies, he's going to save his people. He's going to take them back. And it said that there is going to be a great wedding supper for Jesus and his bride, that is the church. There's going to be this great wedding supper. Well, I want to tell you about another supper that's going to take place. And that comes here at the very end of Revelation 19. We'll quickly end this out. It says in verse 17, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, that was the system of Satan, and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. So now he sees this great Armies coming together. They're put in place by the system of Satan. That is what is the system of the world. They all come together and they're coming together to make war against Jesus. He's the one on the horse. And it goes on in verse 20 and says, And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet. That's the Antichrist who was in its presence or excuse me, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. This is talking about the end battle that Satan, the system, the Antichrist, and all the people who have said, we don't want you, Jesus, who are part of this system in the world. That means everybody else. They come together against Jesus. And in this great fight, instead of having this really climactic end like in a movie where it's, it's neck and neck, it just says Jesus comes in and by the word of his mouth just completely destroys his enemies. Satan, the beast, Antichrist, everything, everybody. So he saves his people, takes them off to a wedding supper. But there remains in this moment, it said that the call goes out. That the angel that was standing in the sun said, hey, all of you birds that are up in the air, all of you that like to eat roadkill, get ready because I'm about to feed you. Now, I don't know if it's just because I've read this passage. I feel like in recent years there have been more and more birds of prey all around. I remember I'd be driving down the freeway in Seattle and I wouldn't have even noticed them maybe before, but it was like on every light post there was a hawk sitting up there eagles flying over. I had a friend, I was just talking to her. She had taken a road trip down to uh, uh, California just this last week. She said all the way, it was like there was not one moment of the trip when I was driving when I didn't see an eagle or something flying by. All these birds going over. Uh, over in Four Oaks, sometimes you'll see the water tower and you'll look up and there will be so many of those, uh, what are they, turkey turkey buzzards or whatever they call them. There's so many, you, know, you wonder how the, the tower doesn't fall over. I mean, they're all, they're just loaded up there. Uh, the, the other night I took the dog out to go to the bathroom and I'm standing out there waiting. I look across and under the light of, of the lamp, it was dark out except for this lamp. And I see something moving in the ditch. I'm like, what in the world is that? 
I'm waiting to see a raccoon or a possum or something, and suddenly I see this great owl fly up out of the ditch and go chase after something. Saw him the next night, and Katie saw him a couple nights later. There's this huge owl out there. On the way to church this morning, Elijah and I were driving, and up ahead there was some big, huge black beasts over there. And as we drive closer, it was two of these big buzzards eating on a, a, a deer that had gotten hit. I mean, it's just like you see these birds everywhere. And I don't know if they're getting more populated around, but what I know is this, is there will come a day when the hawks in Seattle and the eagles in California and the owls and the buzzards around Johnston County will hear the words coming from the angel saying, I'm about to defeat my enemies, and you're going to have a huge supper. Amen. Don't eat anything today because it's about to be like you're eating during the Super Bowl. That's what he is saying. He is going to destroy his enemies. And the picture there is really just saying there's not going to be one person left. There's going to be all this flesh laid out for these birds to go get. So the question really is this. Which supper do you want to be a part of? I don't know about you, but I'd much rather be a part and have an invitation because I'm a family member of the king. I'm a part of the bride of Christ to be invited and taken to the wedding supper with Jesus, whereby that is our entrance into all of eternity with the one who loves us so dearly. I want to go to that supper because the alternative is this. If you don't know Jesus and you're not going to be called into the great supper in the beyond for that wedding day. The only supper left is the one where you are the one being dined on. The one where you were struck down by the word of Jesus and left for the birds to eat. You will be at one of those two suppers. Either you will be with Jesus because you've responded in repentance. And you've said, you are my king of kings and you are my Lord of lords. I love you. and I'm sorry. And I repent and I want to want to be with you. You give me joy. You're true. You're awesome. Or you say, you know what? This is my own flipping life. And I don't even know that you're a king. You're more like a butler. Actually, you're more like a figment of the imagination. You know, science can prove you wrong. I mean, you either say he's faithful and true and I want him or you say no. And at that moment, you've just put yourself as part of the covered dish meal that day. You will be one of the things in that covered dish. Yeah. I see a lot of people going like, oh, man, you just ruined covered dish meals for me. Don't ruin that day. Come to the Lord and say, Lord, have me. You know what? Because he wants you. He died for you. He didn't die for people that he didn't like. He didn't die for people that he didn't love. But the scripture says, We know that he loves us because of this. While we were still sinners, while we were still dark and dirty and ugly and awful, we know that he loves us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. He died for you. He loves you. And so this morning, say, Jesus, I, I see your love. I sense your love. You don't want me to die. You don't want me to be full of sin. You don't want me to not understand what's going on. And so I give myself to you. Please forgive me, Lord. And as you call upon his name for forgiveness, 
boom. You have just been washed by the blood of Jesus. You've been taken out of that reserved seating in the wine press of God and placed into a place of reserved seating at the table of the wedding supper. I would encourage you to do that today. And take with you that picture of Jesus coming on his white war horse because that day is coming soon. That day is coming soon. As we sing out uh, together this closing song, this is an opportunity for you and your heart to say, Lord, I just lay it all down. I don't need you to be my butler. I need you to be my king. And so as your servant, I submit everything to you. Here's my heart. Here's my sin. Here's my burdens. Here's my money. Here's my family. Here's my church. Here's my job. Here's my school. Jesus, be my king. Be my Lord.